Lord could have come the first time the way he has anticipated it coming in the future. He could have split the eastern sky and come in all of his glory to present himself as the Redeemer. As Mary in the bumper video just shared with us, the Savior of the world. But he chose not to come that way and God chose for him not to come that way in splendor and glory to Jerusalem, to the hub of the whole earth, if you will, at that point. Instead, he chose to come in humble ways and to use humble people. My goal in this series is to try to get you to take your shoes off and put their sandals on. We know the story, we've heard it, we're familiar with it, so we know all about the figures that are in every nativity. And yet I think having known the story and the rest of the story, we sometimes, my beloved, lose the impact of it because we're so familiar with it. I'm trying to get you to place yourself in their sandals to join me in understanding what it must have been like for them 2,000 years ago when our Savior came to this earth. We looked at the first Christmas person, first humble Christmas person, last week from Matthew's Gospel, and his name was Eosaph. Remember that? Say it with me, please. Eosaph. Say it again. Do you remember what it means? It means, let him add to. Joseph had a decision to make. Shall I add to my wife this one whom I thought was a virgin and now is with child? Shall I take her as my bride or shall I do what in the bumper video Mary said he could have done? Shall I obey the Mosaic law and have her stoned? And if I add to my life this woman, this virgin, this Mary, knowing that she's with child, that means I will also have to add to my life that baby that will be born. And I'm told to call his name Jesus. So we looked at Joseph, who was willing to spare her life and take the life of the son to be his own son. By the way, I reminded you last Lord's Day, or I told you, let me remind you today, that the day he said to the people around him, his name shall be called Jesus. When he was not the biological father, he was at that moment declaring I am the stepfather, I'm the adoptive father of this boy, this baby boy, Jesus. So he took him to be his own. The next person that we consider at the nativity, that first Christmas scene, is Mary. Miriam. Let me say it again. Miriam really is the way it's pronounced. And Miriam is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word. 
Let me come at it a little bit differently. It's the Old Testament word transliterated into a new New Testament word. By that, let me help you understand what I mean by transliteration. It's this. The word baptizo in the New Testament has been transliterated into an English word. Are you aware, aware of that? The word baptizo now has a word which means, where, which is in the English language, something that sounds pretty much like the Greek word. It is baptized. Why did they transliterate it and make a new English word for that Greek word? The answer is because King James and his church knew what the word baptizo meant but could not translate it into its meaning into English or they would have had to have translated it immersed. When the church practiced, the King James Church practiced sprinkling. And so to keep from doing that, they made a new word to keep the confusion going that baptism doesn't mean sprinkling, but rather it really in its original word means to immerse, to place all the way under And so they transliterated the word. Mary is the same thing. It's a transliterated word from Hebrew to Greek. And the the Greek word sounds much the same as the Hebrew. Miriam. Would you say with me that Hebrew word? Miriam. Say it again, all together now. Miriam. Now you not only know Greek, you know Hebrew. Feel good about that? What does Miriam mean? You know the English word is Miriam. And that really is the same word, the same name in the New Testament is Mary or others. Another form of the same word is Maria. And so this Mary means the same thing as the Hebrew word Miriam means. Now stay with me on this. There is a lot of confusion about what the word Mary means. Almost all names in the Bible are indicative of character. And there are some blessed definitions of the word Mary that are not true to the original definition in the Hebrew of the word. Some think it means beautiful. Others think it means blessed. And she was, for us, a beautifully blessed woman. Yo, that's Mary mother of the Christ child. But wait a minute, that's not what it meant in the original. In the original, Miriam or Miriam meant bitter or rebellious. You say, wait a minute, you got a problem with that. How in the world does that apply to Mary? Well, think back in the Old Testament to Miriam. Remember the day when she and Aaron were critical of Moses? You know what they said? We don't like your wife. It's like, oh, come on. I mean, that's why you're going to cause an uproar among all the Jews by publicly announcing, we don't like her. What's that got to do with anything? That was my choice in the presence of God. That was what Moses could say. But no, they rebelled against his choice and became critical of him for that. And God judged her. 
for her rebellious comments and their criticism and bitter passion against Moses. And by the way, he could have judged Aaron the same way, which is why Aaron didn't really respond as a priest would have responded by announcing, yes, this is judgment of God upon Miriam, leprosy for her bitter, rebellious spirit. Because if he had announced that, he would have had to have announced his agreement with Miriam and his own leprous condition, his leprous soul. So Miriam has this bitterness and rebellion and judgment for it going on that day and Aaron appealed to Moses to be the intercessor. And Moses appealed to God and basically said to God, God, in your grace, in your mercy, restore her health to her. And God listened to Moses, and after seven days, he did. Now, what's all that got to do with Mary? Her name means the same, and listen carefully. If you were to catch the flow of the text that we'll be looking at in just a little bit, you will understand that Mary did not see herself the way many people see her today. Many have exalted her so high, she's almost a fourth person just beneath the triune God. That's not the way Mary saw herself. Mary rather says in Luke chapter 1, if you want to find that text, we'll be there in a minute. In Luke chapter 1, Mary says toward the end of the chapter, God has regarded my lowly estate. Did you hear that word? My lowly estate. And who is this God that she has referred to, or Lord that she referred to? In the previous verse, she has declared him to be God as the bumper video did, God, my Redeemer, God, my Savior. If Mary is so lofty that she's just below the Godhead, how is it that she saw herself in the same condition as all the rest, lowly, rebellious, as a sheep gone astray, turning to its own way, like the Miriam that she followed from the Old Testament. Why should she or would she see herself looking at that manger? And by the way, before ever he went to the cross, she recognized in that manger, this is my Savior. Tantamount to confessing, I am a rebellious, bitter, passionate sinner who needs the forgiveness of God and the Savior that is born to me and to us this day. So you see, the name Miriam denotes a humility of heart, not an exalted heart, but a lowly person. And we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. This Mary, we read the account of her involvement in the book of Luke, the first chapter. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like to read with you in reverence for the word standing, please. Read with you just a portion of this nativity story, this Christ's birth story, especially the one who we're looking at today, the segment of the story that describes Mary. It goes like this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city 
of Galilee named Nazareth. By the way, it's kind of generous to call Nazareth a city because it was a, actually less than a village. It was just a handful of people living in that place at the time that Mary lived there and uh, Christ was born near there. So a, the angel Gabriel appeared um, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Eosaph of the house of David. The angel said to her, look at this, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Who wouldn't consider what manner of greeting is this? An angel just appeared to her from the throne of God. Now here we go. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. By virtue of her name, you already know she has not found favor because of some elevated position. She was from Nazareth. Nobody knew that town. And he said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name, say it, church, Jesus. Father, Thank you for this blessed, humble text. Thank you for unveiling to us that Christ didn't come in his splendor and glory, but in humility to a humble child herself when he was born. A humble child from a humble place. Teach us today to put Mary's sandal on, sandals on and to walk in them for a just a brief time here and to walk out determined not to take those sandals off because it is in humility that you have chosen, Father, to exalt. You resist the proud but give grace to the humble and help us to humble our hearts and see ourselves as we really are, like Mary of old, like Miriam of old, like Adam and Eve long ago, who are each doing our own thing our own way. Rather help us to be humble, confess who we are, and know, Father, that Jesus came to take us out of death to life, out of that lifestyle that ends in death and give us life everlasting that he offers through his humility on the cross. Open our eyes to that great truth. Help us to understand a little bit better the people of this season and the reason for this season. In Jesus' name and all who care to say, amen. Please be seated. Now, are you hungry? I'm not talking about Christmas cookies here. Ready to feast on the book? Let's walk through this text together. Just some brief observations, most of which you already know, but important observations about this humble child named Mary. First is this, Mary was divinely approached. Verse number 26 says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, sent from heaven to this Mary. 
I want to park for a second at that phrase, the sixth month. What's so significant about that? Is it like June? Or what's the sixth month here? No, it's not the month that we know is June. If you back up two verses, you'll find out in the context that Mary has made the trip to see one of her relatives named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth herself is with child. The Lord has announced in Jerusalem to Zechariah that he in his old age and Elizabeth in her old age would bear a child. Let me stop right there. Put yourselves in their shoes for a second. You who are past childbearing age. Zacharias is going to hear your wife's going to have a baby. And I put those sandals on this morning and I go, say what? <laughs> you are kidding me. No, no, no. I have a plan that goes way beyond your plan. You thought you were going to sit in ease in your home with your wife of your old age. Not happening. You're going to bear a son. And he announced to him a marvelous truth about what that son would do. Zacharias was a priest in the city of Jerusalem, a lofty guy, exalted in the minds of the Jewish culture of that day. And so, what a marvelous thing is happening to him. And as Mary visits, knowing she is with child, she visits Elizabeth. You who know the story know that Elizabeth's child jumped inside of her body. And she felt him jump, and she knew why. God revealed it to her. It's the whole idea that this is the forerunner of Christ in Elizabeth's womb. And he is excited because he's in the presence of the Messiah who has already been conceived in Mary's womb. And so he leaps for joy. And what we are told, backing up those two verses from our text, is that when Elizabeth heard that she was with child and knew that she had conceived, at that point Elizabeth went into seclusion. And it specifically states Elizabeth hid herself for five months. And then it picks up with Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent. Now, what do you know about Gabriel? He's an archangel, one of the chief angels. When he appears, it is always significant, and his message is always important. And most of the time, there is this sense that Gabriel bears a trumpet that announces things. Some believe that the Trumpets blown in Revelation are blown by Gabriel. Others believe whenever you see a trumpet in Scripture, it typically is synonymous with this archangel, Gabriel. The old Negro spiritual um, uh, bought into that truth. You ever heard the old uh, spiritual called, Hand me down my silver trumpet, Gabriel? Anybody? Ah, you're from Michigan. You wouldn't know, but hand me down my silver trumpet, Lord. And it's all about Gabriel playing with his trumpet. Well, he has come to blow a trumpet, not literally.
but to announce, as a trumpet would announce in those days, an important message. So she's about to hear from God through an angel sent from God himself. No wonder her soul was troubled. No wonder put yourself in her shoes. God sent an angel to talk to me. Keep it going. Mary, at that point, was humanly betrothed. We talked about it a bit last week. The 28th verse reemphasizes it for us. A virgin betrothed to a man. And I talked to you about what that betrothal was. It's similar to our engagement, but so dissimilar that it really is so little like it. Our Western concept of engagement is, you know, we're trying this out for the next six months. We plan on getting married six months down the road. If everything works out in the engagement period, if it doesn't, we'll hand the ring back. That's the way that works, but not so in that first century culture. Here's what happened. When a girl, a Jewish girl, turned 13, her parents typically would make an arrangement with a boy who was older. A boy's parents, they would arrange the marriage between the two. And once it was arranged, it was considered a betrothal period and typically one year from the time of the arrangement until the wedding day itself. Let me just pause here. I am so into that first century cultural arrangement thing. I suggested it to my children. None of them listened to me. Can you believe that? No, Dad, we, we got this covered. That won't work. So now, since it didn't work with our kids, we're trying it with our grandkids. And as they're getting to be older teenagers now, some of them will be here next Sunday uh, just ahead of Christmas to worship with us, and we're looking forward to that. So I plan on talking with them again. Grandma and Grandpa are going to make the choice and arrangement for you. How well do you think that will go? Well, I have an irrefutable argument. Grandma is the best choice. Uh, she can make the best choice for your spouse. How do I know? Because look who she chose. <laughs> can I get a yo? No, <laughs> I hear that. Well, that's the way it was done in that day. Elaine and I do know of some other countries that still practice that. We met an Indian, Galakal from India, a man from India who went home at Christmas time when we were his shepherd, when we were shepherding that church. He went home at Christmas time and he said, I'm coming back with a wife. And I said, who? He said, I don't know. My parents have arranged this. And when he came back married and we asked her about that, she said, a wise gal, she said, there's nobody that loves my husband more than his parents. Why should he doubt? And nobody who loves me more than my parents, why should I doubt that they would choose well for us? That was the mindset of the first culture, and that's what being betrothed meant. And when they were betrothed, there's no getting out of this. 
You can't hand the ring back. When they were betrothed, there was this whole idea of you are husband and wife already. Even though the wedding day has not come, you are husband and wife already. And the only thing that can break this off is this whole idea of one or the other of you being unfaithful. And by the way, that's why Matthew's gospel does not say the same thing as Mark and other places in the New Testament with regard to Mary's lasting forever, except it be for uh, physical or sexual unfaithfulness, a marriage is not to be broken. A Jew understood that, and Matthew was written to a Jew. A, a Jew understood that marriage is to last forever unless there's unfaithfulness in the betrothal period. Once the day the wedding took place, then there is no grounds for divorce. And that's harsh and hard in our Western culture, but that's biblical concept. That's the way it was in that first century culture. Maybe someday we can talk about that more. But she knew she stuck with this guy and he with her based on the parents' arrangement. Now she is betrothed and if she's unfaithful, <coughs> Something that was said in the bumper video is true. The Mosaic law allowed for stoning. And if either one of them were unfaithful, they could be stoned to death. And they would be viewed in the betrothal period. That being broken off, they could be viewed as widow or widower. That was the mindset of the first century culture of and so while she is betrothed to this guy, it's all arranged, it's set. She's a wife of Eosei, Mary is. Mary was declared to be and shown to be at that point highly favored. Watch how it unfolds. Greetings, one translation says, you are highly favored, Mary. Stay with me here. How many of you know what uh, Dennis was playing with that horn just during the offering? The majority of us wouldn't recognize it. Our Catholic friends would be very familiar with it. It's Ave Maria. Such a biblical concept. Ave is the word for, and I believe it was Latin for greetings. One translation, the New King James that was on the screen before said rejoicing. And that's just a New Testament form of greeting that the Old Testament corresponding word would have been shalom. Or that is peace to you. This is the Greek greeting. Ah, ave. Blessing. Greeting, rejoicing. Just a way of saying, hey, how's your day? Are you with me? Ave. Ave Maria. Another form of the word Mary, another form of the word Miriam. We talked about it, right? Ave Maria comes directly from Luke 128. 
Greetings, highly favored Mary. I want you to be very careful here. I want to be careful how I explain it. Mary didn't see herself as many in other religious circles see her. Mary saw herself as lowly. Remember, we talked about it earlier from the 47th verse, 48th verse along in there in this same chapter. She said to Elizabeth, I am lowly and God has highly favored me. I am lowly. Who is this God? He is the God, my Savior, the God, my Redeemer. Now watch this. She didn't see herself as above others. She saw herself as on the same plane spiritually with everyone else. I am lowly and I'm a person of lowly estate. Be careful how highly we exalt her. When you add to that Jesus' interaction with a group of people who came to him during his earthly ministry and said to him, you need to stop what you're doing in here with the people. Your mother and your brothers are outside. And if Jesus were the one instructing you, you would have expected him in that culture to stop teaching and go greet his highly revered and favored mother and his other brothers. But Jesus said, who is my mother and who is my brother? He took them from the exalted plane that people put them on in that day and brought them to the level of the people to whom he was speaking. And he said, those who believe on me, they are my mother and they are my brother. Do you see what he did with Mary? The same thing Mary did with herself did not highly exalt, but saw herself as Christ saw them on the same plane with all who needed to be forgiven. Now there's a lot of myth about Mary that's not in the Bible. And a lot of that myth has to do with some exaltation in the mind because she bore the Christ child. Some even suggest that she rose from the grave and was ascended on high just like Christ did, even though she appeared to no one. It's known as the Assumption of Mary. I want to suggest to you it's not found in the Bible, nor is that exaltation. It's just not there. It's in traditional mythical history. Now let me back up and say, Mary is highly favored. Yo. She is highly favored, watch it, because in this context, she is viewed as the Theotokos, the God-bearer. You need to be careful with that term. Mary herself knew that she did not give beginning to God as some falsely believe. She called him, in fact, in her lifetime on more than one occasion, she called him my Lord, Savior, and God. Watch this. She knew he existed before he ever was conceived in her womb. She saw herself not as the Theotokos, as the mother who brought Christ into existence, God into being. 
She knew he was the eternal one who had always existed. But she also knew that while God could have brought the Theos himself and his son into this world without the aid of a virgin's womb, she is highly favored because she saw herself and knew herself to be the vessel through whom God would pour out himself as the Savior of the world. And it is not she that is exalted. It is the son that she bore who was exalted. And that made her the highly favored one because she's the only one chosen to bring the body of Christ into existence that he would indwell. Yo, highly favored Maria. Now watch, Mary miraculously conceived. You will conceive, Gabriel uh, announced, in your womb and bring forth a son. Capital S, son. You will conceive. And God will be poured out through your conception. Watch this, church. How can this be? I mean, you and I know. We've heard the story over and over every Christmas. How in the world do you do this thing in a new way every year? You don't. You go back and know that while no one would have drawn up this plan and Mary couldn't have conceived of this plan at all, yet it's God's chosen plan. How will I conceive? God told Joseph in the vision how that would happen. Do you not remember? Fear not, Joseph, in his dream. Fear not to take unto you Mary not as your wife or to be your wife, but Mary betrothed who already is your wife. Fear not to take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is not conceived by adultery. That which is conceived in her is conceived by, listen carefully, the Holy Ghost part of what makes Mary so favored, so blessed of God. Watch this. If God could one day in the beginning of time from the dust of the earth fashion the human body and breathe into that life, breathe into that body his life and man become a living soul, then cannot God, is it no small task to him is it beyond his power? Of course not. To breathe into a womb the capability of bringing forth life outside of normal means. God has the power to do that. And God did that. And I don't have time to park here just long enough to say, and my beloved, had he not done that, we would not have the perfect virgin-born, sinless, spotless sacrifice to pay the price for our sins on the tree. 
What a great God. So Mary miraculously conceived. Well, can you believe it? We're almost done. Your turn. So, God used in that first Christmas morning and continues to do the same today. God uses the humble, the confound the wise. He could have said, I'm sending my son to Elizabeth. After all, her husband's a priest in the temple of God. I'm sending my son to the city of Jerusalem. At that point in time, the hub of the earth, the center of the world, especially in the Jewish culture, everybody knew Jerusalem, capital of capitals. But no, God chose a little-known city called Bethlehem. And a 13-year-old teenager from an unknown city in that day, Nazareth. Think about Mary. She had all these plans, wonderful plans. Every child, every gal does. Gals, think back to when you were a little girl. What are some of the things you dreamed about? Among the top ten, I guarantee you, one of them was my plans for the perfect guy that's coming in my life. And you found him, right? Yeah. Elaine, that's a good time for an amen. <laughs> so it's this whole idea, you just dream, you've got your plans. You know what your dress is going to look like by the time you're four years old. You know what he's going to be like. Can't wait to walk down that aisle with him. And then to become the mother of his children and the queen of a home. What a dream, what a plan. God walked up to Mary that day in the person of an angel, he sent his messenger and said to her, in essence, from him, from God, change of plans. Right? Humble little girl from Bethlehem. Not proud religious leaders lording it over the people in Jerusalem. came to her, Ave Maria. Greetings, Mary. You're going to be favored with my plan. And so here it goes on. Our plans do not box God in. Right? Our plans do not box God in. They didn't on that first Christmas morn. We would have planned a grand entrance for the Messiah. God planned a humble entrance. What a reception we could have planned for him. No. It's not going to be like that. 
I have my plans and it's more grand than yours could possibly be. Now watch this. I don't know where you are in your personal life. We talked last week about this whole idea like Joseph, big events that happen and that cause fear like it did for him and even Mary. When I get in those moments, I got to tell you, I have my plans. I know how God should work everything out. I got here a year ago last week. I had my plans. We have a daughter. Help permit, she'll be here next Sunday. Please put your arms around her and just tell her you've been praying for her. I know you will. I have my plans for her. Elaine and I pray almost every day. If God could bring, breathe life into a dead body, can he not breathe life into two dead kidneys? Well, God, that's my plan. It's what I think you should do. That's my daughter. There's so much more to that story that we've never told you. But my beloved, I, we have God's answers and plans. Listen, you're getting ready for your next pastor, church family, right? You're praying for that every day? Please tell me you are. I'm not doing my job and my boss will chew me out. You're praying for that, right? Amen. Probably had six or seven people come up and though they didn't put it this way, what they really meant was we know who the next pastor should be. I've had pastors call from outside who knew I was serving here and their response is, um, in essence, though they didn't put it this way, in the heart you can tell their response is God's calling me to be the next pastor. And I'm wondering which of the three is right and which isn't listening to God. Or which of the members are right and which aren't listening to God. We all have our plans, what we think it ought to be like. Who we think it ought to be. But if you're hearing anything this morning, would you just hear this? God has his plans. I'm told that to the PST, the search team that's meeting one final time before we start receiving resumes. They're meeting tomorrow night. And I've shared this concept with the deacons. Listen, God treats his shepherds, his pastors, his messengers for churches just like he treats the stars. He puts them where he wants them, and he removes them when he wants to. God does that. I can prove that in the book of Revelation. And so here's what I've learned to do to help church families get ready for that. Back off, my beloved. Search team, don't listen to the church members. Would somebody say amen? Hello? Don't listen to the pastors. Let God be God. And he will unveil his plan. And he does it to the humble who are not so arrogant as to say, I know. 
God came to humble Mary and said, I know the plan that is good for you to be favored and for all who will accept your son. I don't know what you're going through personally. Personally, we just talked about a collective thing and everybody in every church always knows God's plan. But I got to tell you, God knows that. Think about it personally, please. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe a tough, tough, tough time in your life at this moment. Please hear this. Don't ask God to get you out of it by a plan that seems good to you. I will be happy if you do this, God. Instead, just back off and say what I believe the most humble one who ever walked this globe said. The most humble expression that came from Christ. Here's my plan. Nevertheless, not my plan, but yours be done. Thank you, Father, that Mary said that. Yo, help us to get our arrogant shoes off and put on her humble sandals. And as Christ followers walk out like Mary and like Christ, saying, here's my life, Lord. Let it be consecrated, Lord, to me. My friend, you may be here as one whom we would call, not judgmentally, for we were in that place at one point in time. We would call you maybe far from God. You've yet to come to that place in your life when you let go of the reins and give them to the Lord and say, God might be proving to you at this point in time in your life in a special way. Your plans don't work out so well. Let me be Lord of your life. Give your life to me. Surrender your will to mine. Accept the work of my Savior your Savior, my Son on the cross, and let him give you life and accept me as your Lord, your King, and your Savior. We're going to stand together and sing. Would you join me, please, in standing? There'll be some people to meet you at the front to counsel you on how to crown him Lord and King of life. Come, if that's a need in your life and church family. One more time, the deacons and their wives sometimes come with them, are going to kneel at the front. And they're going to be asking God for a next servant leader who is humble personally, letting God be God in his life, and corporately who leads the church, letting God be God of the church, not himself. Amen? You want that kind of a shepherd? I think many of you ought to come and join your or deacons here at the front and pray with them for that kind of a shepherd. My friend, if you don't know this Christ, come. Let them introduce you to him as we sing.